0: Did you just pay me a dollar
1: on Apple Cash?
0: Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply.
1: A new season of Bridgerton is here.
3: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha.
0: And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Today we are thrilled to be joined by our friend and colleague, Bridget Todd. Bridget, it's so, it's so exciting to, to be with you. I feel like it's been a minute. It does feel it like it has a been a
2: minute. Yeah, I'm so excited to be back. Y'all are my
0: favorite lady. Yes,
3: same. And we, we've write been that talking. Down. I feel like we need to put this down on record. Yes. <laughs> Someone just <laughs>
0: isolate that clip. Uh, we were we were just talking about some trials and some tribulations because you've recently had a, an injury and are recording from a new, <laughs> a new part of your house.
2: <laughs> yes, I am like, I usually record from my kitchen, but I'm laid up awkwardly on my couch because I have a broken ankle uh, and I'm in a cast and I can only be comfortable if my ankle is, like, elevated in a very awkward way on <laughs> my couch. <laughs>
0: well, it doesn't look super awkward. I'll say no. that. You look kind of pretty comfortable, honestly. Okay,
2: good. Yeah, I, I don't usually get to record podcasts while I'm lounging on a couch. Mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of looks like, do you know those, like, celebrity podcasts where it's usually they're, they've got, they're, they're, vid- they're on video, so it's like, right. they've got the headphones and the microphone, but they're, like, on a beautiful couch with a cool background? I feel yes. like that. <laughs>
3: I mean, oh, that's a great way to feel. <laughs> yeah, that's a good place to be. One, you don't look like you're lounging. You look like you're very much in an attention and professional. And from what I can see, So that's the person who probably has one of the worst uh, postures ever. So you know, kudos to that with a broken <laughs> ankle. Because I feel like I'm my like I look like my body's broken and I just gave up. So good job.
2: You know, I'll <laughs> take it. I'll take it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> also, you were on TV recently. Oh, my just goodness. always the coolest stuff. <laughs> I know. I get to say I know a celebrity.
2: Oh, please. What's funny is that I was on MSNBC uh, oh, two weeks ago, a week ago. And you know that account Room Raiders, where they rate people's, yes. virtu- like, their, their backgrounds when they do, like, yes. virtual news hits or whatever. I got my room rated. And <laughs> so, that, so that very couch, I feel like my drab, very old IKEA couch is now a celebrity. And like, now the couch thinks it's... You know, a big deal.
3: <laughs> it is. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> the good for the couch. You know what? Yeah. You know what? My yeah, couch, couch has is seen like, better days.
2: <laughs> yes, I mean this one is so old. It's like, oh, uh, no butts, please. I'm
3: famous now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excuse me. <Right. laughs> Only certain level of person.
3: A if celebrity. Are odd to know that a, sh- a couch is outshining me. Like, I I take it personally.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It feels right, though. It's okay. It does. It feels natural.
3: (laughs) It feels natural.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, now that we've learned that the couch surpasses, we're both really excited for the topic you brought today, Bridget, because we're talking about what's been going on with OnlyFans, and I was just completely incorrect about what OnlyFans is. And I was only seeing like bits of like on Twitter it was trending. And then I saw like a bunch of like late night talk show hosts kind of made jokes about it. I think I had been mixing up Cameo with OnlyFans this entire time. Or at least I thought they were very similar. I thought it was like a place where you went and like celebrities were like, hey, <laughs>
2: that's that's what oh. I thought it
3: was. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, that's not, you're not totally far off, yeah. right? So Cameo is a site where you could pay to have celebrities make a, you know, a birthday message, a birthday shout out. I've used it twice in my life. Um, yeah? I got a Cameo of Ramona Singer from Real Housewives of New York saying happy birthday to my friends. Yeah. <laughs> so it's similar. OnlyFans is kind of similar in that. It's a it's a content subscription service where creators can earn money from their audience who subscribe to their content, like a.k.a. the fans and the OnlyFans. And so even though it is certainly widely known as a platform for like adult content creators and sex workers, regular celebrities are there, too, now. And so, for instance, like back to Housewives, I also subscribe to Real Housewives of New York star Sonia Morgan on OnlyFans. And so her content on OnlyFans is not sexually explicit It's more just like behind the scenes and like, you know, exclusive content for fans. Um, I'm like, I'm, I feel like a little bit of a sucker that I pay money for this to like see videos of her, you know, picking out outfits or whatever, but Cameo and OnlyFans are not totally dissimilar. Like you're not, you know, far off. They're they're pretty similar in some in some regards.
3: Okay. I think I missed the cameo boat. So I didn't know much about cameo until you guys were explaining it. So I knew more about OnlyFans. Because I do remember <laughs> there used to be an account on OnlyFans that was like a wholesome plant account. There was this woman who had amazing plants and her like and so she was doing like a whole thing where she would just show off her plants and talk about them on OnlyFans. And that's what people paid for. And I was like, that is so wholesome and kind. I never, okay, I like this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like that too. And I think that really does underscore why, what people come to OnlyFans for, yeah. whether or not it's like adult content or explicit content, or just sort of content that, that audiences can really see a value in and will pay for that value. It really is like giving the, giving your audience what they want. So whether it's sexual content or wholesome plant content. That's one of the reasons I think people have really resonated with it because it is about giving people exactly what they
3: want. Right. And just to backtrack, what exactly is OnlyFans? So that those, like Annie, who are confused and mixing up what this is, can you kind of tell everyone what it is and how it originated?
2: Absolutely. So it's a content subscription service where content creators earn money from their audience who subscribe. So again, like the AKA, the like fans and OnlyFans. And OnlyFans as a platform takes, I think, a 20% cut of that money. And it can really be lucrative for some creators. OnlyFans says that it has 130 million users and 2 million creators who have collectively earned about $5 billion. So this is big money. Like it's 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 not a, a niche small thing. We're talking, you know, billions with a B. And as I said, I mean, there was a time where it was mostly known for adult content and sex worker content. And it kind of expanded to be kind of non-adult or non-sexually explicit celebrities kind of connecting with their fans. Y'all might remember a while a while back, Bella Thorne mm-hmm. was on OnlyFans and it caused a big controversy because people thought that Bella Thorne as a celebrity was going to shift the marketplace and that they were no longer going to be centering sex workers and folks who make adult content, um, which I think was like a very... Looking into what's happening now with OnlyFans, I think that was like a very fair concern. And it really does underscore that sex workers and folks who deal in adult content, they are often the most savvy when it comes to tech, tech platforms, and what kind of choices those platforms might make down the line. Like, nobody understands technology and staying, you know, ahead of technology like sex workers or folks involved in adult content. Because- they really have to be things shift so quickly in terms of policy and what's allowed and what's not allowed you know sometimes they they refer to sex workers as sort of the tech canary in the coal mine who says like mm-hmm. hey this thing is going to happen and
3: they, nine times out of 10, are correct. Right. And yeah, I remember with the Bella Thorne thing, it caused another controversy because the way she advertised or that it insinuated that there was going to be a lot of uh, more like nudity and or whatever she was promising seemed really bigger and more grand than what was actually given, which caused the site to crash essentially because so much request was coming for uh, refunds that they Mm -hmm. were having to give back money that they didn't have to the point that it really, really affected the rest of the people who had OnlyFans accounts that was making uh, a lot of, or making some money. And it was kind of disrupting their cash flow, right? Or their uh, income. That's
2: exactly right. And so, you know, I think that a lot of folks who are involved in sex work rightly have concerns that, you know, when someone like a Bella Thorne comes on and completely disrupts the model that, that they've been working with, that they will be the ones who are harmed or impacted. And we know sex workers are already marginalized. You know, right. They're not necessarily folks who hold a lot of power when it comes to even just conversations about the technology that they use and have built, have kind of like made popular or made relevant. And so, you know, again, we see that Bella Thorne uh, example that you just explained, like that's a great example of what we're talking about. What happens when something that sex workers built up and popularized is... A decision is made that completely further marginalizes them and decenters them from something that they have already been sort of like building up.
0: Right. Yeah. So, why don't we talk about this this decision that OnlyFans made, this news that they made that uh, yeah is very impactful um, towards sex workers who have used the platform.
2: So here's what's going on. So last Thursday, OnlyFans said it would ban explicit content starting October first. They said, effective October 1st, OnlyFans will prohibit the posting of any content containing sexually explicit conduct. In order to ensure the long-term sustainability of the platform and to continue to host inclusive communities of creators and fans, we must evolve our content guidelines. They also said that creators could still continue to post content containing nudity as long as it was consistent with their acceptable use policy. And people were like, collectively, WTF, right? Because again, (laughs) this had been a platform that Sex workers and adult content had pretty much been the thing that OnlyFans was used for. So then OnlyFans clarified. They said basically that this was not really their decision. It was payment processors like MasterCard that processed the payments of these creators on the platform that were making this decision. So they said, these changes are to comply with the request of our banking partners and payout providers. And again, there was this massive, massive outcry from folks who were rightly really upset because, you know. Adult content and sex worker content like that is, that was like the bread and butter of this platform. So they have since changed course tweeting, we have secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community and have suspended our planned October 1st policy change. OnlyFans stands for inclusion and will continue to be a home for all creators. And so it was kind of like a grand opening, grand closing kind of situation (laughs) where they made this (laughs) announcement. And then they were like, oh, oh, just kidding. But don't get too excited because this is definitely not the end of the story. And I definitely want to talk more about why sex workers are still very wary about the platform and, like, what's going on with that
3: policy. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob.
0: Coming at this from someone who is, you know, like, I think I vaguely know what this is. I didn't know it was used mostly for sexual content. But now I'm wondering, I think I have seen some horror movies that have only fans in it, because of course I have. (laughs) But I I remember that clarification of like, nudity is allowed, but only if it's like not sexual. And I was already like, that was raising my flag of like, well, I can tell who this is going to pin it. Like, we've seen that time and time again, of who is the judge of what that means. But that being said, that was one of the problems that people had with this, right? Is that it was pretty confusing and not really clear what they were, what these rules would have meant.
2: Exactly. So their policy wasn't very clear. They said that they were going to be banning sexually explicit conduct. But, you know, that's pretty vague. They said that nudity is allowed, but sexually explicit content isn't. So like, what exactly does that mean? And it basically really puts the burden on content creators to sort out what would or would not get them potentially kicked off of this platform for whom a lot of sex workers, this is a big part of their financial livelihood. And so leaving it to be that vague where it's just like, well, you know, we're not going to give you more feedback about what is and is not allowed. But if you break the rule that we decide you could lose, lose out on like money, you know? And so that's Mm -hmm. pretty messed up.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that would just be so confusing. And also you'd be like, who do I really ask about this? (laughs) um, How far do I want to push it? And then something else, as you were talking about, when it comes to technology and policy, um, sex workers have had to really adapt. And one thing also at play right now is the pandemic Mm -hmm. when it comes to adapting to new environments.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, Sex work is work. And so just like any other worker during the pandemic, folks have had to make changes with how they can work safely. And so only bans banning adult content during a pandemic would just remove another avenue for sex workers to safely make money at a time. And we know those avenues have already been disrupted due to the pandemic. So it's just at a time when there are already a lack of safe ways to do this work, it's just taking away one more at a time when folks are already really, you know, suffering
0: mm-hmm. right so okay if OnlyFans is known as being a space for sex work and this sexual content and as you said like they, they kind of backtracked from like well oh, it was the, cre- the credit cards they were pushing us i mean i mean i'm curious why they made this decision
2: oh yes okay so this is where things get a little bit complicated this i mean this whole topic is complex and i want to like name that right off the bat I kind of went into researching this topic thinking it was one thing and then realizing I was incorrect and it was quite another. So when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, this has got to be the same old story where a marginalized community helps make a platform popular and then that platform just abandons that group when they want to kind of go mainstream. We've seen that before with Clubhouse, with Patreon, like that is a common thing. And I really held that opinion until I did this research and the research really showed me that you know, I'm not going to say there isn't some aspect of that happening here, but the reality is these payment processors truly did cave to coordinated pressure from religious groups. And so there might be some aspect of, you know, OnlyFans wanting to go more mainstream at play. The real reality is that payment processors caved to pressure from religious groups. And so that was something that was new for me that I learned in researching this topic. I was like, oh, I didn't realize that there was this behind the scenes coordinated effort to pressure these payment processors into cutting ties with the pornography industry.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I feel like this isn't the first time when you've bought a topic that I wouldn't have guessed would have this sort of angle or intersection. And then when, when I learn it, I'm not surprised, Right. but it's kind of like, wow, how much power these groups have That and I'm not even hearing about it, you know, that they're I mean, pressuring OnlyFans. <laughs>
3: This kind of goes into the QAnon slash uh, yoga mom type of conversation about trafficking and trying to decide what that is and who is the arbitrator of it and who is to defend it. And it's definitely along those lines that I've seen it time and time again when we've, you know, we did that whole episode about sex trafficking and social media and TikTok Mm -hmm. and all of that. And when we talked about this, this is one more that gets into that bigger scope of protect our children, protect our girls type of mentality, and I've definitely heard of these groups going after what are the bigger things, including platforms. Although, we do see it on other platforms, but for some reason, we know why. OnlyFans is the current target, and that's the one that's making the big splash, obviously.
2: Oh, absolutely. And and really, you bring up such a good point, which is that we all know that trafficking is a horrible, horrendous crime, period, end of sentence. However, when these groups conflate things that are not trafficking, which is like a very specific thing with trafficking. So when they conflate consensual sex work or consensual pornography featuring adults, you know, when they conflate those things with sex work, it's not just, you know, a problematic thing. Like yes, it is problematic, but it's more than that. It can be used to really fuel public policy and political heft. And so this is not just a movement happening online. It is being used to fuel specific legislation and specific policy. And so, you know, when someone gets on TikTok and says, I think I was almost trafficked because I found a piece of cheese on my car or whatever, you know, that may seem like not that big of a deal. But when you follow that thread and say, and that kind of scaremongering about trafficking and misinformation about trafficking is going to be used to fuel actual legislation that criminalizes already marginalized communities, that's when things get really concerning to me. And so, like, this is not just an internet problem. This is a thing that's really resulting in policy being made in real life. And I wanted to really focus on two groups who are doing this uh, for this episode, Exodus Cry and the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, formerly called Morality in Media. Um, which is sort of an interesting uh, little rebrand there. I'm sure sure you can pick up why they've changed their name. Oh, yeah. Basically, these groups have been waging years-long campaigns against sites like OnlyFans, and their ultimate goal is to abolish the sex work industry entirely. And, you know, as you said, I mean, they do a really great job of making themselves seem like their only goal is to eradicate sex trafficking, which if that was the case, that would be very admirable. You know, even the name, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, you can understand why they changed their name from morality and media to the National Center on Sexual Exploitation <laughs> because that's a, that seems like a much more admirable goal than like, we don't like pornography, mm, <laughs> you know, like. So I, I can see why they rebranded, but to be clear, these are morality groups who have a history of trying to ban pornography and things that they deem anti-moral.
3: Right, you're so right on how they, whoever did this change, kudos. Like they, <laughs> they did a genius job in rebranding themselves because morality is subjective. No one's going to sit here and say sexual exploitation is is subjective. It's fine. It's fine. You, only if it's fine this way. No one's going to argue with that. And then being so official, like they're an actual government entity. Come on!
2: <laughs> exactly. So, a little bit of history about these groups. So, in the '90s, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation attached the National Endowment of the Arts for funding what it deemed obscene and profane art. In 1992, the group called for a boycott of all Time Warner products because of the publication of Madonna's sex book. If you're old like me, you maybe you know maybe you remember this book. I actually own it because I am a Madonna super fan, and I mean. <laughs> It's basically like, it would be so tame today. It's like softcore pornography featuring right. Madonna. You know, it's, it's really, <laughs> you know, not, not that wild. Um, this group <laughs> also advocated that safe sex curriculums were indecent. And then Exodus Cry is an offshoot of the International House of Prayer, which, fun fact, um, the International House of Pancakes once filed a suit against them for having the same acronym, IHOP. Um, I think they <laughs> uh, eventually removed that suit. But this group at one point supported the Uganda law that made gay sex a crime punishable by death. And so we can really see these groups are not just interested in cracking down on sex trafficking. You know, this is clearly that that's not these groups only motivation.
3: Can I put a caveat here and say, I actually know people who were people part of the IOP crew?
2: The pancakes oh. or the prayer?
3: <gasps> not, I would be the pancakes. They were part of the prayer
0: because I like so some
3: <laughs> you know people at IHOP the International House of Pancakes let me tell you do you want a gift card no uh, I, and it was it very cultish we'll just leave it at that
2: I, I want to know so much more I have so many questions we'll get together okay this, maybe this is for like, a, like after the pod
0: Fine <laughs> 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 scenes yes Just based on that like quick history, you can tell that the saying sex trafficking is not they're not being completely upfront and honest with what they are actually all about.
2: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And that's something that really, you know, bothers me because obviously sex trafficking is horrible and and so bad. And the fact that they would use something that is so serious, such a serious, serious like ill and crime. The fact they would use that to bolster their, like, anti-consensual adult porn agenda, I think is so disrespectful to survivors of sex trafficking, right? Like, I really have a problem with that. And so here's actually a really good quote that I found from Wired Magazine. For those like Exodus Cry, who believe that sexual content shouldn't be available to broad audiences, there is an opportunity to leverage a real concern of underage and non-consensual content being posted to porn sites to achieve broader, more drastic goals, such as just banning pornography and sex work outright. And, you know, I think that survivors of sex work deserve so much better than having groups pretend to be advocating for them, and then in actuality, advocating for a completely different thing, right? Like consensual porn involving adults is a completely different thing than sex trafficking. And the fact that these people would conflate them and cause confusion and, you know, you know, create smoke screens in order to promote their anti-pornographic agenda, I think is so disrespectful.
3: Right. And it is dangerous, just outright dangerous, which is kind of their whole MO is they don't see a solution. They just want to get rid of something that they're uncomfortable with. And it's the same thing for abortion. When we talk about what they do, they say, again, pro-life and saying, you know, you're killing babies. And they're just doing a general arc to sound as most horrific as possible in order to deem a person the bad guy. And so they want to make this as evil as possible to push their agenda, which is a whole different conversation conversation in itself. And if that means outright endangering people for the sake of their own morality or what they think is moral, they're okay with it, which is, again, that bigger conversation of, no, these OnlyFans, yes, there's always going to be someone who uh, takes advantage of the system, and there's always going to be bad people who are doing bad things. Everywhere we know this. This happens. But for those who are able to make their own decisions, have autonomy in doing what they feel is safe, and still being able to make money the best way they can, why not? Why are we uh, like? Why are we regulating? Why are we going to try to take that off because you're uncomfortable with it? Why?
2: Oh, I mean, I think I. I mean, I completely agree, and I think I have a, a, an answer, which is that when folks are legislating things like this and trying to crack down on things like this. There is always some kind of a convenient scapegoat, right? And so Mm -hmm. when folks are concerned about the safety of their kids, you can say like, oh, well, trans people in bathrooms, that is the real threat to my kids. So I'm going to crack down on that. Or trans youth being on sports teams, I'm going to crack down on that. Or sex workers, I'm going to crack down on that. Or immigrants, right? Like when people are feeling afraid or like they don't have control or they want to control the situation that feels like they don't really know where to start. And again, sex trafficking is a, something that we should be spending resources to curb and crack down on, right? Like absolutely. But I think that in light of that feeling like a, you know, a tough, a tough mountain to climb, I think it's easier to be like, okay, well, sex workers, Okay, well, pornography, you know, even if those things are not actually the same, even though even if sex like consensual legal sex work and adult pornography are completely distinct things. It just I think that for some people, it feels good to have a scapegoat to be like, oh, we'll we'll crack down on this easy to pick on group of already marginalized people and we'll feel like we're accomplishing this thing, even if we're not.
3: Right. And you're right on without the picking on, because when we actually have victims, if they're not victimy enough, they dismiss it because that's for so long we've had that term child prostitute or underage prostitute. And still people use that term and not acknowledging, no, this is a tra- this is that trafficking victim that you've been looking for to protect. Why aren't you protecting them? instead, you're making them the perpetrator. What is happening? Yes, And in many states, you know, trafficking victims can be
2: jailed for being victims of trafficking. Like, the way that we deal with survivors and victims in this country is appalling. And if we say that we are truly invested in cracking down on things like sex trafficking, we need to completely overhaul not only how we legally deal with these people, but also how we talk about them and think about them. Because there's no such thing as an underage prostitute. If you are involved in an exchange of sex for money and you are not of age, you are a trafficking victim. Like that's just the that's just the reality. And so we right. don't. We, we even our language does not allow for a more. You know. Nuanced, empathetic understanding of the reality of what's happening.
3: Right, and you know what? Uh, as an investigator, as a as for the longest time, I worked with the Department of Juvenile Justice, and I worked with trafficking victims. A majority of the things that we found again, this was before OnlyFans existed, so I won't I won't say this, but I know I got a chunk of information and a chunk of things that would go back and forth, that we would have stacks of papers and print-offs from things like Facebook, and not necessarily, not even like on Craigslist or mm-hmm. all these other sites that existed, but typically it would come off of things like Instagram and Facebook. And so that's one of the biggest ways I know perpetrators still go after people because it's kind of unassumed that they wouldn't use this platform, right?
2: So the research completely backs this up. So these groups like Exodus Cry and the National Center for Sexual Exploitation, they maintain that they want to shut down these platforms because they're hotbeds of, you know, sex trafficked minors being used in child pornography, but. We know that the majority of abused minors are not appearing on sites like OnlyFans. They're appearing on mainstream social media sites like you said, Facebook. So according to the data, Facebook, not OnlyFans, is by far the biggest offender when it comes to child sexual abuse content. According to an independent study released earlier this year by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, MindGeek, the parent company of Pornhub, which runs RedTube and several other adult tube sites, accounted for... 13,229 instances of what they deemed child sexual abuse material. While Snapchat had 144,095 instances, Google had 546,704 instances, and Facebook topped everybody with a whopping 20.3 million instances. Meanwhile, OnlyFans recently released its first transparency report and claimed to have deactivated a total of 15 accounts responsible for child sexual abuse material. So we can see the main offenders are not sites like OnlyFans. It's Facebook. It's, it's mainstream social media platforms by far.
3: Holy crap. Millions compared to like hundreds of thousands. That's it. That, <laughs> that is an absurd jump. <laughs> that was yeah. mind blowing. Yes. Um,
0: and I think um, going back to, to what you've been talking about, Bridget, one of the most upsetting things about this. To me is that, yeah, I feel like we're using victims of sex trafficking without talking to them. We're just using them to, and by we, I mean society and specifically not us, but these groups. Um, But yeah, we're we're like propping them up to, you know, do things. And when, to make ourselves feel better, like politicians... Politicians and legislators aren't asking them, and we aren't asking sex workers because I know this is something we talked about when SESTA and Fosta was up, and it was all about sex trafficking. But sex workers were like, "No, you're you're really not understanding what this is going to do. The impact of this."
2: Right. So you and I did an episode of Stuff I'll Never Told You About This back in 2018 that folks can listen to about SESTA and Fosta. So. In 2018, this legislation um, about regulating the Internet, um, SESTA, which stands for the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, and FOSTA, which stands for the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, was ostensibly meant to crack down on sex trafficking, but actually just further criminalized consensual sex work. And one of the reasons why this is so upsetting is that advocates say that cracking down on consensual sex work can actually harm sex trafficking victims, right? So one, it cuts off the safer online avenue for sex workers to make money and leaves them more vulnerable to like dangerous situations like trafficking. So here's a good quote. Not having the online outlet is going to hinder and harm a lot of people. Online is much safer, particularly for trans and gender non-conforming folks. This is from Lala Zanell, the ACLU's trans justice campaign manager, who is doing a lot of the work to lead uh, decriminalization of sex work uh, campaigning. And then another aspect of this is that Sex workers truly do often act as a line of defense for spotting and reporting sex trafficking. Because of the nature of their work, they really know the signs. And so if we're gonna be criminalizing sex workers, we're actually going to make everyone less safe because sex workers are going to be much less likely to say, "You know, hey, I know what consensual sex work between adults looks like, and what I'm seeing right now is not it. I need to report this. If sex workers are further criminalized, they're going to
0: be much less likely to do that. Yeah, and it's, you know, these groups that are saying, like, we're just trying to stop sex trafficking and ultimately hurting um, victims of sex trafficking even more, and just even funding or attention, um, like, multiple levels of it. And then recently, I saw a headline, I was surprised it didn't make bigger news, but it was about Pornhub, and Pornhub was being sued by several people who used it and they were claiming, you know, Pornhub had been engaged in all of this kind of like really dark, messed up stuff, right?
2: Oh yeah, so to be super clear, earlier I was giving the stats of where content involving abused minors shows up and I said that Facebook was by far the biggest offender when you compared things like OnlyFans or Pornhub. But I need to be very clear, like let's not get it twisted. I cannot stress this enough. Pornhub is a legitimately bad actor. It is a hotbed of awful, abusive, not to mention illegal sexual content. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm downplaying how horrible that place is because it tr- they truly are a bad actor in this space, which is why Pornhub was an early target of these morality groups. So the history of this is a little bit complicated, so I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, The New York Times' Nicholas Kristof published an expose on Pornhub that found that many of the videos there were of minors and non-consensual sexual violence. But the problem with this article is that his primary source was a woman called Layla Micklewaite, and she is the former director of abolition of Exodus Cry and the founder of an anti-Pornhub campaign called Trafficking Hub. And, you know, we'll remember that Exodus Cry, their, their whole thing, Exodus Cry, is to attack pornography under the guise of fighting sex trafficking. And so this article did a lot to legitimize cracking down on illegal consensual pornography made by adults as a means of cracking down on trafficking, which, as we know, are two different things. And as a result, back in December, MasterCard, Visa, and Discover blocked their customers from being able to make purchases on Pornhub. I think now if you want to make purchases on Pornhub, you basically have to use like cryptocurrency like Bitcoin because you can't use any of these major payment processors. And sex worker Mary Moody told Dazed, at its root, the New York Times article is a religious anti-porn group's propaganda. It uses salacious anecdotes to tickle the puritanical subconscious of the nation with its ultimate goal of censoring pornography. Um, And, you know, this is kind of like, for me, one of those things where it's like, oh, even a stop clock isn't right twice a day, (laughs) where Pornhub is legitimately a bad actor. And so I'm not exactly crying any tears that they were you know, pressured into breaking ties with major financial processors. But I've actually seen a lot of advocates say that cracking down on places like Pornhub, while, you know, well-intentioned because Pornhub is a bad actor, the consequences are actually more likely to be felt by independent adult content creators who are, you know, following the law to create their content. And so, again, it's a little bit of a complicated issue because, Pornhub, they truly are like a bad actor and I do not want to pretend that they're anything but. But it's just another one of those situations where in the end, the person who is feeling the consequences are the independent creators who are like following the law.
3: And I think this is the whole complication of any of this in general that are always bad and good and, and it was set up to fail to begin with, with the fact that again, people who are looking to make change aren't the people who have been in this industry in any way whatsoever. And who, those who have actually done it safely and have done it in a way that is consensual and, you know, everything, like they are the ones, they're not being talked to. Again, they're being dismissed as if they are part of the problem, as well as the fact that, yeah, you're right. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes, absolutely. There are situations that, yeah, that you are correct. Here, Revenge Porn, Pornhub's uh, use of any video being just uploaded and being uh, allowed because, People are mean um, in general, sure. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like they want to harp on that and say this is the prime example of what is wrong, instead of actually looking at the root cause of what is happening and the fact that we failed media people in general. The fact that they even if, if like they went down this road in the first place, we don't know why, but I'm guaranteeing because capitalism. You know. <laughs> oh,
2: it's always <laughs> capitalism, right? Like I don't care what the problem is. Nine times out of 10, the, the reason for it is capitalism. I have, come, I have come to see that very clearly.
3: This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6
0: million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs
3: Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit Snagajob.com
0: or text SNAG to 242-424 to talk to an expert.
1: Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the tonne.
4: Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I
2: don't know. I mean, this this is my opinion, but I think that in general, we just have this attitude that certain people are, quote, undesirable. And it doesn't matter if they are, you know, just making a living for themselves, following the law. Like a lot of sex workers that I know, they pay taxes. They have accountants. They have, assist- like it is work. It is, not, it is not some horrible, immoral thing. And this idea that like, we don't, even need to t- we don't even need to talk to these people about the work they engage in and how we can make it safer. And, and, and you know, their concerns in the industry, they're not even worth hearing. I think that that really goes to this fundamental way that we really de- we were really comfortable dehumanizing entire populations of marginalized communities and I think sex workers really is a great example of that you know the fact that OnlyFans didn't even feel like they needed to consult sex workers before making mm-hmm. this change on their platform that is a platform that is almost entirely used by sex workers what does that tell you they didn't even feel the need to consult sex workers right. people have policy conversations that will dictate how they are able to work and make money without even talking to them without and, and without even seeing them necessary to be talked to. But I think it really speaks to this idea of like, who do we see as worthy and who do we see as just not even human, not even worth speaking to?
3: Right. And I just love the hypocrisy of the fact that, yeah, it is a growing, booming industry and it has existed and continues to exist and it is being funded by these most likely by the same individuals who were harping the loudest. Uh, and we're like, are we ignoring that fact? that there is a reason why this industry is as successful as it is. So let's talk about that and why you're seemingly ignoring that part of this whole conversation.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, even if you're not somebody who watches porn or, like, is involved in sex work, it's part of our society. It's not going away, you know? Like, it's been, they call it the oldest profession for a reason. Right, it's not right. going away. So... We need to stop acting like legislating pornography and sex work out of existence is like an idea born out of reality because it's just not. And so instead, we should be talking about how we make things safer, how we can support sex workers, how we can empower sex workers to act as a line of defense against things like trafficking, rather than saying, no, we're just going to try to... Act like it's reasonable to completely get rid of this entire booming billion-dollar industry.
0: <laughs> right. And I think in our, like, media-saturated world, we're really bad at nuance. And, like, headlines are very bad often at communicating what all all the complexities and nuances in a conversation like this. So when you have these, like, anti pornography groups being quoted and you know, reputable newspaper and they are right in this instance, but they're right for the wrong reasons. Like the reasons they're giving are incorrect, but the ultimate place they arrive at is correct. But we lost all of that complexity and nuance. And it just muddies the whole situation. And we're we're like, well, if, okay, I mean, and I'm I'm I like to think I'm a better, I'm pretty savvy when it comes to things like that. But I didn't know what OnlyFans was. And I think a lot of people like it ends there. Like, okay. Pornhub is like OnlyFans in my mind. Pornhub was bad. Therefore, this one's probably bad. And that's the end. And you can feel good about yourself because you feel like you're <laughs> helping sex trafficking or you've made a smart, informed decision. And so I, I do think like things like that do make me really angry because I feel like people, a lot of people do have, like they're coming from the right place. Like obviously there are some bad actors coming from the wrong place, but there are people who are, and, you know, they, they read this thing and they're like, okay, then that's how it is. <laughs> and, you know, not taking the further steps because they're busy or whatever it is. So it just makes me mad that that's happening. And then you get this OnlyFans thing, which has been very confusing because they sort of, there was this huge outcry over it. And honestly, if I hadn't, if we hadn't had this conversation, I hadn't looked into it, I would have just thought like, <laughs> I would have thought it was another pornography website, the way like, late-night show hosts were talking about it. And then OnlyFans changes their mind, but that's, I mean, it's ongoing, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. And so even though OnlyFans backed off of the decision, this is definitely not the end of the story, right? So first of all, as somebody who does a lot of tech accountability work and like a lot of like platform pressure work, Tech platforms are always very tricky with their announcements. So I clocked right away that their official line was that they were suspending their ban on explicit content, right? And so that was the same exact language that Facebook used when they initially banned Trump, which sounded, you know, very finite, but actually just left the door open for them to revisit that decision just, you know, a few months down the line. And so I would really like to know, like, are they actually permanently backing off of this ban forever or... You know, because the word suspend really could mean a lot of things. And I think it's why tech companies in their official releases like to use that kind of language, because, you know, it really could mean a lot of things. And so I would really want to know, like, more about their decision. Is it just for this one payment processor that they were, you know, capitulating to? And so like, if another payment processor wants to pull or cut ties They're going to, you know, go through this again. Like, I I need more definitive information from OnlyFans before I start getting excited. And also the fact that these religious groups have made it clear they have no intention of giving up. Uh, An Exodus Cry spokesperson, she tweeted that Twitter is going to be their next target. And, you know, even if you're not a sex worker or or not on OnlyFans, you should be concerned about the way that trafficking is being used to drive crusades against how adults can use these platforms because all of us, should be concerned about that. And again, you know, sex workers have been raising the alarm about this, that when their communities are cracked down on, are marginalized, are, you know, censored, everybody should be concerned. And so, you know, these groups have made it clear that they're, even though, I think they see this as we lost this battle, but we haven't lost the war. And then, Lastly, you know, the damage is done. Sex workers have rightly lost so much trust in this platform, and many are looking for alternatives because that trust is just so damaged. And, you know, as I said, sex workers are already marginalized and we're already in a pandemic. Like, everybody's having a hard time, especially folks who are already marginalized. And so we know that sex work is work, and sex workers do not deserve to have their livelihoods be threatened like this especially when they are the ones who made OnlyFans the platform that it is today. There's this great quote in uh, this great piece in Dazed from a sex worker named Savannah. They say, The proposed ban is bullsh**. OnlyFans knows its site would be nothing without sex workers. Period. It would be nothing. I wasn't surprised, but damn, I was disappointed. This happens every time sex workers build a new platform up. It happened to Patreon and now OnlyFans. And it will happen to whatever site we migrate to after this. They will let us break our backs to build a platform only to spit in our faces and toss us out as soon as they've made their money. And I think that that quote really says it all, you know. And I have to say one other thing, Annie, to your point about, you know, why OnlyFans backed off of this decision. I think, one, it was because of the organizing power and collective pressure of sex workers. Because sex workers are very powerful. And when they use their voices and speak up, those voices are heard. because. Sex work is, I mean, it's a, it's a powerful industry. So that's one. But two, I also think it is folks learning from the Pornhub situation and not letting groups like Exodus Cry really set the tone, right? And so not just taking these groups at face value that like, oh, well, they say they're an anti-trafficking group. Nothing to look into there. They're completely, you know... They're a great source to base this entire expose on that will go on to shape the policies of how Pornhub operates. I think this time around, people were unwilling to just allow for religious anti-pornography groups to set the agenda without any kind of pushback. And so I think making sure that all of us really have our kind of like critical thinking ears on when folks are talking about sex work, when sex work is being legislated and sex workers are not part of the conversation, all of our little spidey senses should tingle to be like oh this might be something that is not as it seems
0: yes that, i'm glad to hear you say that that makes me very happy because when you when you were like yeah they quoted this one person this <laughs> kind of <laughs> anti porn lady i was like oh no <laughs> that's not good <laughs> so i'm glad that that it seems to be that seems to be changing yeah we should always all of us be very ask where like news is coming from and um just who who's behind it and the motives behind it and the motives behind decisions like this. And that being said, are there things that we can do to help?
2: I'm so glad you asked. Absolutely. Um, the first is supporting sex worker owned and operated collectives and spaces. Uh, one that I love is the Sex Worker Outreach Project Behind Bars. You can find it at swopbehindbars.org. It is a great org working on the decriminalization of sex work, (laughs) not further criminalizing it. And it is fantastic. (laughs) Um, And then also, you might have local options of organizations in your community that are really supporting sex workers. Um, I live in D.C. One of my favorite organizations is HIPS. I love HIPS. They are a great organization that really focuses on uh, harm reduction and really just, you know, their sex worker outreach is like, what do you need? What can we get you? How can we make this work safer for you, better for you, you know? And... Yeah, so do some digging into organizations in your community that might be good places to help. Support sex workers. Also, when policies about sex work are being discussed, look to sex workers for insight. You know, even in putting together my research for this episode, you know, I talked to sex workers. i read articles about sex work written by sex workers. I followed sex workers on social media. And I really want to shout out a few people who's writing and thinking kind of helped me get a better understanding of this entire OnlyFans situation. First is Kathy Resenwitz, Kathy is an OnlyFans creator and a writer who covers the intersection of tech and sex work. Uh, You can find her writing all over the web. It's super good. And another is Ashley Lake of the Sex Worker Outreach Project. Ashley's Twitter was super helpful in me just getting a better understanding of the kind of attacks that sex workers face on a regular basis and a general understanding of the OnlyFans situation. Ashley is actually promoting an online action for September 1st to protest banking discrimination and the platform instability that sex workers often face. So check out Ashley's Twitter feed and the hashtag acceptance matters for more information. And again, just recognize that sex workers often, just by the nature of the work that they do, have really interesting, smart, nuanced, thoughtful takes on things like tech and culture. So they're always going to be a smart follow if you're looking to learn more. Again, both amazing resources. And yeah, just do some work finding interesting voices of sex workers that you can look to when things involving sex work is in the news so that you're not just taking somebody else's word for it, you know, without actually listening to their voices. Because again, sex workers have very interesting stuff to say about technology and culture and also, of course, sex work. And then the last things I'll say are kind of, I guess, sort of um, self-work, as as, as my therapist (laughs) might say. So the first part of this kind of like internalizing self-work is really recognizing that sex workers don't need to be saved, quote unquote. They need support. They need resources. They need, you know, they don't, they don't need someone to like, you know, I guess a lot of the way that people talk about sex work is like, well, I'm going to save you from this lifestyle. And that's not really what sex workers are looking for. Sex workers are looking, they need support, right? And so Disavowing yourself of that internalized notion that somebody who is involved in sex work automatically is someone who, you know, is looking to be saved. I think shutting the door on that fiction was really helpful for me, understanding sex work in general. And then lastly, if you consider yourself a feminist, really deeply include sex workers in your feminism and in your analysis of feminism. You know, recognize that. You know, if you've ever watched pornography, taken a pole workout class, if you enjoyed the film Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez, which I know I did, all of these things are things that we have because of sex workers. And so, you know, even if you're not somebody who enjoys sex work, all you only need to look around to see all of the ways that sex workers and sex work have defined and shaped our culture, and that at the very least, sex workers deserve support. And if you consider yourself a feminist, I believe that it's essential to include sex workers in your analysis of feminism.
0: Agreed. Totally agreed. It's so well said. And yeah, I think it's it's another point that you make and we make in, in these segments and these episodes a lot is that kind of that critical thinking and just ask yourself when you're enjoying it, like do a little bit of research and where did this come from and who are the people that made it and who are the people that maybe got kicked off of it and like just really asking those questions because this is, I mean, this is pretty sh- that a platform and it's happened before several times as you mentioned but it'd be like okay we've attracted a in heavy quotes like more classy audience now goodbye we don't need you anymore like that's terrible yeah <laughs> that's really <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> yeah yeah so thank you for bringing this to our attention it is always such a delight to have these discussions with you and i feel much more informed cuz i was confused by the whole thing <laughs> so thank you
2: <laughs> thank you for having me i mean it's a meaty subject it's 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 and again this was all all this information was accurate as of today friday but it's an ongoing situation so this could change so Keep an eye on it, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, we'll go ahead
3: and timestamp this. This is August 27th of 2021. So (laughs) there's things can change. We have to do this a lot because we're out of date typically within a week. So
0: (laughs) 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 things move quickly.
3: So, Bridget, where can the good listeners find you?
0: Well,
2: you can listen to my podcast on this very network called There Are No Girls on the Internet, where we talk all about all of these fun, meaty, complex issues of the ways that tech and culture and marginalized communities and feminism intersect. Uh, You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts on. You can follow me on social media. I'm at Bridget Marie on Twitter and Bridget Marie in D.C. on Instagram.
0: Yes. And definitely check out all of those things. Can't wait to have you back, Bridget. <laughs> if you would like to email us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff i Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff i Never Told You is production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC.
1: A new season of Bridgerton is here.